0: Hello and welcome to Grace Church Vienna! This week we have Hans-Georg Hoprich with us again and he will preach about sowing and reaping, a sermon based on the passage in Luke chapter 8. How do sowing and reaping go together and what are the conditions that we can expect a rich harvest? We will learn furthermore what the seed stands for and how the conditions change the outcome of the seed. And we will see who we are in this parable. So, join us now to learn more about the principles of sowing and reaping. Well, it's a a great joy to be together with you this uh, morning. Um, We've been traveling quite a bit in the last um, couple of um, weeks. In fact, we had uh, our fourth um, valedictory service, our commissioning service in. Germany, in our um, sending church. It's a Lutheran church where about 25 uh, missionaries were sent out in the 19th uh, century. You know why? Because uh, there was a, a great uh, awakening, and, uh, and, and, and God uh, just worked in the lives of my hometown, uh, Gellingen. Um, it's just next to, to Stuttgart. And whenever God um, gives an awakening, you know what he does? Uh, it's a sheer sign of an awakening. He sends people. So uh, that's exactly what happened. You know, they went to uh, what was then called the Gold Coast. They went to India. They went to China. Um, all around the globe they were just sending it was just a little town of I don't know 1500 or so people but they sent like that. That's the example we we really get from from God himself. that's what he did. Well we had also a kind of a, um, a sad um, experience uh, just uh, last week we, buried a very good colleague of mine who served in Papua New Guinea for 33 years. But um, what, was, what was amazing of Gerhard, my good friend, we saw him just last uh, year when we were in, in Papua New Guinea, he wasn't just very specific gifted. He wasn't. I mean, he was just a, a normal guy. But, you know, the the small giftings he had... God used him amazingly so he um just the uh, beginning of of uh, July uh, he had in fact he, he wanted to have a meeting uh, with people in in Papua New Guinea with the local church he worked in he served as um, in a bible school in the highlands of Papua New Guinea and uh, the very morning uh, he said no i'm not uh, ready to have a meeting. All of his brothers were there for the meeting. He said to all of them, today, it's my day. So you know what he did? He went out together with a couple of kids and a friend of him, and something strange happened. He just bumped his side. He fell down, um, and uh, he must have bruised himself um, terribly, Nobody was aware of it. In fact, he got very tired. He uh, took himself a rest in a hut just next uh, to where he bruised his uh, body. And people were standing, some people were standing outside and he breathed three times very heavily. And then he went to be with the Lord. Well, it was his day, wasn't it? Um, Well, last week, Saturday, we buried him and about a thousand people were present in Germany. And you see, they couldn't bury him in in Papua New Guinea. You know why? Terrible. It's really terrible. Because uh, there are people that have a kind of, they want to do things together with the devil. So they dig out the bodies, dead bodies, and eat the flesh of Dead people in Papua New Guinea. Papua New Guinea is a Christian country, by the way. It says that about ninety uh, percent or so are Christians, and yet, you know, the devil is also at work. So they decided not leaving the dead body in 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 Papua New Guinea, but take it um, to to Germany, and um, he was buried there uh, next to Nuremberg. And uh, well, we had a well, I wouldn't want to say a great time, but a very special time with his dear wife Brigitte and uh, many others that share the gospel of the Lord Jesus. It's amazing what this gospel can achieve. And um, when I uh, talked to Philip yesterday, I think he I knocked him out by the sheer... Uh, excitement that I had when because I was just re- got ready for for the sermon and uh, you know I was so excited I apologize uh, Philip if I knocked you out please apologize but I try not to knock you out this morning um, <laughs> but um, well I'm kind of excited about the word of God it's God Himself that presents us with something from eternity. And that's amazing, isn't He? He hands it over, as it were, in to our heart and mouth and hands and ears and eyes, makes Himself dependent of us sharing this word with his, with my friend next to me, with colleagues, with uh, brothers and sisters around me. He makes himself dependent of your mouth, of your movement. Isn't that amazing? Amen. That's what God can do. He's sovereign, isn't he? and um so this morning i'd like to share with you um with uh, the parable of the sower in luke chapter 8 verses 4 to 15 and uh, while you're uh, opening your bibles um well we had also as i said our valedictory service we met our uh, friend very special friend uh, king Nene Sakite, the second from Kroboland in 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 ghana we had a, a, a incredible time of sharing our hometown they um gave us the opportunity in sharing a meal with him and um and uh, we shared with him of course also um uh, something about the gospel and had a incredibly good time with our fellow brothers and sisters in, in my hometown. I mean, a, a king doesn't really come to this little town of Gellingen usually, but uh, it made it very special um, to our hometown. Um, and um, also, of course, uh, because you see, um, the missionaries that were sent out from my hometown they went to what was then called gold coast and they had a incredible good connection with the king at that time and that connection it's about 160 years is still going on that is what mission does isn't it amazing They laid the foundation of this great Presbyterian church of of Ghana, which is one of the biggest churches in Ghana today. It was laid in the 1850s, and it's still going on. Um, It's amazing that the Presbyterian church is a sending church. I mean, they got the example from those that came in the 1850s. And that's what they are doing. They are sending people like the Nigerian church and many West African churches. It's amazing to see that happening today. Um, God is, excuse me, this is not very pietistic. God is mad at sending. He's mad. And, I mean, either you are somebody who tries to send and praise for those that are sent or you are, your own um you send you let yourself send into this world you know you have only these choices either you gather or you send let yourself be sent into this world so this is what God does he likes to send people into this world and the parable of uh, the sower really accelerates in that you know and and it uh uh as i prepared myself i was reminded again to the power of the word of god of the bible the truth that sets apart and changes sanctifies me it's the milk that nourishes that feeds me it's the honey what wets my appetite and hunger for god gold that Spiritly enriches me and a water that cleanses my mind uh, a mirror that provides personal reflection and evaluation it's a hammer that deals with my stubbornness it's the fire that refines and purifies me that's what the word of God does Independently, independently, by the way, who we are, the Word of God is powerful, more than we ever think of. And today I would like to cover a very special characteristic in which the Bible is significant in my life. And that is the seed for growing and sowing seed that receives and 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 grows in my life are sowing into the lives of of others and uh, so we let's read um, this um, uh, these verses in Luke chapter 8 verses 4 to 15 I think it's quite important you know to either have uh, your mobile with you or well, black, black on white, uh, the Bible with you. It, I think it's it's pretty really important to really read things black on white. So here it says, while a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed, as He was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on, and the birds of the air added up. Some fell on rock, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. When he said this, he called out, "He who he has ears to hear, let him hear. His disciples asked him what this parable meant. He said, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to others I speak in parables so that those seeing, they may not see. Though hearing, they may not understand. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear. And then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be safe. Those on the rock are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. The seed That fell among thorns stand for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those with noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop wow what a word of god that is jesus says in luke 8:11 uh, now the parable is this the seed is the word of god in order to understand the depth of the this parable jesus shared with his disciples about the sower and the seed we need to consider The the background against which he shared it. There are times when chapter and verse divisions get in the way in a story flow, and in this one of those times, um, the first chapters of Luke's gospel basically gives us a view of the of the uh, birth of Christ, and then a brief sketch of his appearance in in Jerusalem. Uh, in the Jerusalem temple, and at the age of uh, when Jesus was 12. Then for 18 years, heaven is silent. Silent of the life and war- whereabouts of the world's redeemer. The next picture we see, uh, Jesus, is when uh, he steps from behind the, the scenes into the waters of the Jordan River and asks his cousin John the Baptizer to, to baptize him. John announcement in, in John 1.29 of Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world is a fulfillment of the angel's prophecy in Luke chapter 172 uh, to Zacharias in the, the ter- temple 31 years earlier. You see the history that is really in this. It is the first prophetic word heard in Israel in over 400 years since the prophet Malachi died. Immediately, Following his baptism, Jesus was, it says here, Jesus was led. God led him. God had his hands upon him. The Greek word means he was driven. He was compelled. Driven and compelled. Jesus was led to go to the the desolate wilderness... Uh, probably around the, the Dead Sea where he spent almost a month and a half without food and water being tempted by the, Satan, as you know this story quite well. Then one day Jesus announced his hometown, in his hometown synagogue, his reason for coming by reading from the prophet Isaiah in chapter uh, 61. And declaring that this particular prophecy had that moment been fulfilled in saying to say that his declaration caused no small stir would be really an understatement. He presented himself as the son of God. First they were totally amazed. And it's no wonder what, what's happening. Wherever he went from there on. You know what they want to do with him? They want to kill him. It's incredible. He was well aware of it. They weren't totally amazed. But then offended. And that's what's happening Today and all over the world where the gospel is presented, some people, they pick it up for their own life. And some of them are terribly offended. They jump out, will never go to a church again. And that hap- that's happening ever since. So he would not be even welcomed in his own hometown. Very different from us. A couple of weeks ago, in my hometown, we were welcomed by the mayor and his whole team, um, of which is now a town of twenty thousand. I mean, we were astonished; it took our breath away. We you know we we know that we're kind of small people, and yet they welcomed us. It was meant rather a lot to to uh, to me, as you can imagine. Uh, but it was not in these times with Jesus. They tried to kill him. Leaving Nazareth, Jesus went to Capernaum, where he healed a demonic man, and then Simon Peter's mother-in-law. Before going to the next day to other cities, as the Bible tells us in Luke 4:43, in in this um, uh, province of of Galilee. And we are excited, you know. Next year, uh, we are—it's the first time that we go to Israel. We are invited to to go there with a. I think about 50 other people, uh, we got a very special prize, and if you if you want to come join us in at the end of February, most welcome, just talk to us after the service. It's uh, pretty cheap, um, not too expensive, uh, otherwise we wouldn't be able to do it anyway. Uh, <laughs> that's how easy it is. Um, Luke's Gospel, by the way, presents um, a fast running race. And a pace that takes a breath away, your breath away, because the next thing we see, we see in Jesus is back at the shores of the Sea of Galilee at Lake Gennesareth, and uh, calling his disciples. You know, he needed to have his disciples to fulfill his purposes, and apparently, this took place one morning at Capernaum. Um, or nearby because Simon Peter was one of the first to be called when Jesus used his boat as a as a pulpit and then told him to push offshores into deeper water where they caught on an abundance of fish. An incredible miracle that happened despite of um, the whole night they were fishing and they caught not a single one. And then... Jesus gave his promises, and then they uh, they took their breath away. So many fish! By that time, having Jesus, having seen Jesus heal his uh, heal his uh, Peter's mother-in-law, having heard his teaching, and then experienced the fishing haul of his life, there was no doubt in Peter's mind as to who this. Jesus really is. He followed him along with his brother Andrew and friends, um, James and John, the sons as they called them, the sons of thunder, uh, in Luke chapter 5. For the next several days, I I, I get excited, you know, to, to see really the, the whole the story with all the backgrounds involved. Coming to that point of of the the sower and the seed. And for the next several days or weeks. We don't know exactly how long. Jesus' fame spread like a wild fire. As he performed amazing miracles. And taught profound truth. Explaining many of the teaching found in uh, the historic background of the Jews in the Talmud. The people had known those scriptures for years, but had not understood them. Much distortion and delusion had taken place during these 400 years when Israel had no prophetic word from God. So when he gathered on the hillside with his disciples by now, he has called 12, including Levi, and began what we traditionally call the Sermon on the Mount. He, these followers had exploded into the ten thousands. They came even from as far as Judea and Jerusalem itself. They just gathered around the Lord Jesus. They were merely ear to hear what He had to to tell. And following his discourse that completely astounded the people, even a large number of Pharisees from Jerusalem who had come to check him out. They want to know who he is as well. He and his disciples went back to Capernaum and where he performed still even more miracles. His miracles and teaching uh, teaching not only touched the, the the common people and um, uh, really talked to to those that were against the religious leaders of that time but they reached people with even within Herod's palace because we see that one of the people who was uh, materially supporting Jesus and his disciples was a woman do you remember who? Joanna, the wife or to Herod's personal steward, even to the very center of power, the word of God came in. Now, keep in mind that all of this has happened in a we're wild we're wind like a scenario over a very short period of time. Well, Jesus knew that he didn't have the time. He was well aware and it took a momentum, steadily built along the way at an incredible rapid pace. On one occasion, Jesus was with his disciples having a personal conversation with just the 12 plus other disciples. As he talked with them, others gathered around listening, but his attention was still focused on himself and his disciples. In order for only the most discerning to, to understand, what he was about to say, he used the style of a parable to tell them something incredibly important. He gathered his disciples and he was aware of it. So this morning, let's sit down. Is That was what we do, you know, the Lord Jesus is here. So let's sit down at his feet. Not at my feet, I mean, I'm just... Kind of a small guy, you know, a little disciple, a follower of him. And I'm, was sitting at his feet just the other day as I prepared myself for this morning. So let's do that, shall we? Let's sit down. Well, we all sit down. I mean, if Africans want to stand up, they can stand up. Uh, you, you're free to do so. Um, but we sit down and that's exactly what happened this Um, time at one point he seemed to have turned to the growing ground saying he who has ears do you have ears yeah you have but you see he who has ears to hear let him hear what did he really mean by that if you have a seeking heart To really understand the symbolism. Then listen up now. Make your whole body an ear. To listen to it. Because it's very important. Then he told the parable of the sower. And the seed. That we've just read. But. What was the meaning of the parable really about? Who was it all about after all? Well, it was actually about several things the sower, it was about the soil, and it was about the outcome. So it's kind of like today, you know, we, God is um, sowing his seed. It's all dependent on your herd, the s- soil. And what do you do afterwards, during the whole week? So that's the kind of point uh, the Lord Jesus uh, turns up today, this morning. That's what he does. And that's what he did even then. Before we do that, though, I want to make a particular uh, observation about one thing. One thing that is the sower. When I put this Story in context of all that has happened in such a short period of time, knowing what Jesus himself said he had to do, go to the other cities as well. Don't stop in Vienna. Don't stop at Grace Church. Go to the other cities. You know what I said just in the beginning? You either... Uh, somebody who is ready to send or you, others, you send others. And that's exactly what Jesus does here. Look at the number of times he went to those other cities as well. That's what he did. In such a, a short period of time, in such a short time span faced with, with, Terrible obstacles and sometimes fierce opposition wherever he went with the seed, the word of God. What were his specialities? Miracles and explaining the scriptures that were his special specialities. And wherever he went, he sowed the seed watching it fall on various kinds of soil and wayside, on rocky ground, and on good and fertile soil. As all of you, no matter wherever wherever you come from West Africa, from uh, the great country of the Philippines, uh, whether you come from the States or South Africa or England or Britain or Canada, beautiful country of Canada. We've been there in Canada um, a couple of years ago. Bless you, my brother and sister coming from Canada. I love this country, very special one. Um, and also my German and even more so my Austrian brothers and sisters. Well, um, this is the soil. The um, uh, Soil type determines the measure of the outcome. The soil, I'll repeat it. The soil type deter- determines the measure of the outcome. This parable shows clearly that there was nothing wrong with the seed. It's uh, that made me so excited yesterday to talk to Philip. You know, the seed was perfect. You know, there was nothing wrong at all with a seed. Neither was there anything wrong with a sower. Or how he spread the seed. After all, who was the sower? He was the son of God. Let me state clearly. The secret to a good harvest is a good soil. And that's not new. I mean, what is new to that? Um, It's... The soil, its, its type, its condition, and its readiness. The sower and the seed are subject to the condition and receptivity of the soil. You and I are the soil. So it's a big challenge this morning. If you listen, you pick it up, let it grow, and let it go. And you will know it's not me. I mean, I am not the judge. But you will know whether it grows or not. You are, you are and I are the soil. How else does his statement that the seed is God's word makes any way sense to us? It doesn't make sense otherwise. The impact God, were God's word has on you and me, has nothing to do with a sower or a seed. But it has everything to do with your and my heart. That's the power of the seed. So with that in mind, let, ex- let, um, let us examine the principle of the sower and the law of the harvest. These principles will not surprise us as we all know. I mean, uh, as we sit down, we are kind of kids, you know, sitting at the legs of the great master, you know. And when I come up with all these truths, you will laugh at me maybe. Well, you may not smile because that, you know, that's kind of offensive to me. But uh, at least you feel like a child. So please excuse me if I come up with childlike truth. Will you bear with me? <laughs> Sorry. That's, that's all I can present because that's what the Word of God does with us. And sometimes I think we don't need kind of intellectual way up of preach, preaching. But we need kind of um, Sunday school level to find out the truth of the living God. So there, are, there, there will be no, not much truth in it. But it's very, very important. So the first principle... Um Jesus comes up, you reap if you sow. You reap if you sow. If you don't sow, you don't reap. You never get a harvest from grain you keep in the barn. I don't think that's new. To whom it was new, just put your hand in whether it was new to somebody here. I don't think so. And the second one, the second truth you reap, where you sow. What an incredible truth. It's just the basic. It's just kind of very basic. As you are going, broadcast the seed wherever you go at any given time. There is soil wherever you go. Nothing new under the sun. The third one you reap, what you sow. The secret is the nature, it's the content and quality of the seed. Is your seed the Word of God? What is your seed all about? Or is it your cultural or denominational tradition? I think if we would start with the kind of West African mm-hmm. style of of, um, of service, it would be rather different to the, the style we had this morning. I still remember when <laughs> I was in the church in uh, Ghana, just north in, in Kroboland, they were dancing, you know, when they uh, tried to put the offer. Uh, it wasn't go, going through the rows. But they came forward and they're dancing and dancing, you know, and they put in the the money. You know, I was, you know, I was sitting in the front as one of their guests and, you know, I took my breath away, Uh, how they were dancing. And then, you know, after a while, uh, a second turn came and uh, secondly, the same people came and they're dancing and they put the money in here. I don't think it would fit in our Austrian kind of thinking, um, and all, even the West Africans here among us, they would be kind of, of surprised to do it in that way in Austria, wouldn't it? would be strange. Well, you would be familiar, but that's how they did it. And I'm not teasing our West African brothers here, but, you know, it kind of um, was uh, amazing to to see that the first time. And I saw it as second and a third time when in all these um, times I went to, to West Africa in Ghana. So, um, well, uh, it's not tradition. It's not denomination or something else. You may come up with an excuse, no. And fourthly, you reap if you sow. You reap where you sow. You reap what you sow. Fourthly, you reap after you sow. Harvest never precedes planting. It is always planting, sowing first. If you want to see harvest sow, seed it, and then be patient to wait. And it's a truth that I come up with all the time. It's only when you sow abundantly. It's not, you know, putting a seed here and there, but abundantly. Everything you have. It's only then. That you can expect a harvest. Don't go back and dig up the seed. To see if it's growing. It takes time for the seed of the gospel. To germinate in one's heart. And begin to develop. And then lastly, you reap more than you sow. Isn't that amazing? It took my breath away. It's, I mean, I'm not a professor, but just looking at it really took my breath away. On One grain of corn produces one stock of corn on, on which there are three ears of corn. Each ear of corn has approximately 800 seeds. Can you imagine? One and the ratio that I'm not a professor in mathematics, but you know, it came up to me, you know, it's a ratio that came up is 2,400 to one. Isn't it amazing? One seed produces that much. That's the kind of seed we are dealing with, my brothers and sisters. Isn't that exciting? Having said that, we also need to talk about the problems with the soil. Now, we need to be realistic. I mean, after all, we are living in a realistic world. Um, And that's where the word of God touches us. It comes from eternity into reality. So, if the sower is hesitant about sowing because he is afraid it might not go where he intended, he'll never get a harvest. Nonetheless, the quality of the soil makes all the difference in the quantity of the harvest. Our receptivity to the seeds that is God's word determines the value it has in our lives in actually changing us. Let the word change your mind and your life. So, there are several things that can prevent this. And you might find yourself, you know, uh, in this very personally. So the first thing the Lord Jesus comes up with in Luke chapter 8, verse 5, he says, Some fell beside the road, and it was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air added up. The ditches. And he explains it, you know. It's amazing how he he explains it a couple of verses later in, in, in verse 12, we read, Those beside the road are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their heart so that they will not believe and be saved. If our exposure to and reception of God's word is a kind of a a casual occasion that comes from mere habit... It will have little or no effect on us. Satan will quickly come and steal it away. Like the birds of prey that he is, for he knows its value. You see, he knows it. This is why he attacks it and confronts it. He knows exactly the power of the word. This is why he wants to take away it's a full blast of attack. This is what Jesus says here. The ditches. Secondly, there are the rocks. Uh, Luke 8, 6, it says, other seed fell on rocky soil and as soon as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And Jesus explained it again in uh, verse 13. We read, Those on rocky soil are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy, and these have no firm roots. They believe for a while, and in time of temptation, fall away. When our spiritual sensitivities are cluttered with things that distract us to fill our lives with things that don't matter. We'll be excited for a season. For a brief time. But soon neglect the word as other things creep in our, in, in, occupy us, our time, our attention. We'll be following the Lord Jesus for a while, but soon familiarity sets in. Sooner or later, our passion, our affections are drawn away to lifeless rocks that have only a temporary gleam. Rocks. Ditches, rocks, and thirdly, there are the thorns. Luke 8, 7 says, other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it out. And Jesus explains it, you know, it's so good, you know, that kind of precious explanation that he gives is in this parable. He doesn't do it all the time, but it was so important for him. And this is why he explained it. And he says here in verse 14, we read the seed which fell among the thorns. These are the ones who have heard, and as they go on their way, they are choked with worries Well, I mean, what else does it take away? Worries, riches, and pleasures of life and bring no free fruit to maturity. Frankly, nothing is more devastating to our reception of the seed of the word of God than life with all its challenges and distractions. Notice the kind of wide scope of the, what the Bible says, world's temptation. I know we don't hear that that often in our days, but that's what Jesus says: The world's temptation, what are they? Worry, wealth, and happiness. And if you look at each of it, they have a a short time to live. You know, my colleague, go back to Gerhard, who uh, is with the Lord now. He was flying in a plane uh, in Papua New Guinea and next to him, um, a Chinese um, businessman was sitting. And um, the Chinese businessman, he asked him, you know, "What what are you doing here? You know, like we often ask you know what you know what is your business all about and you know well they're flying in a plane isn't well you you need to have a business don't you you know because it's expensive so the chinese um businessman next to him what are you doing so well my my good friend Gerhard he's quite spontaneously said what he is he's a missionary so the chinese said what in the world Hey, what in the world are you doing? You know, is that productive? You know, is what do you produce really? And you know what happened? You know, it made it very clear. My brother and sister, at the same time, he just hardly closed his mouth. The the plane went to fall down about a kilometer or so. And the poor Chinese guy next to him, you know, he nearly got a heart attack. And as the plane was... Going to stand it again, he said to his Chinese um, guy next, sitting next to him, you know how long your kingdom will be? Just for a second. Mine would have started now because it's forever. Isn't that amazing? This is the one and only we are dealing. The kingdom of God is not just for a second. Worries are, temptations are, wealth are for but a second. Worry, wealth and happiness, or purpose, possessions and pleasures. These are named here. It is a classic illustration of what John warned us about in 1 John 2, 5, 15, 7, Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes. And the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but it is from this world. The world. And Gerhard made it very clear. The world is passing away and also its last. But the one who does the will of God is for how long? Everlasting. Wow. I guarantee you, my fellow friends, if you let what I call these three traps of the world system, namely to desire to do... The desire to have and the desire to be. If these desires take over your life, God's world will lose its appeal right away and its impact on you. I mean, it's it's not something that comes like that. But it's stepping down and further down. You wouldn't even see that. But that's how Satan works, you know. He doesn't open your eye like God does in a moment in time. But when you open your mind in Satan's time, it's too late. It's too late. So that was what Jesus does. Um, And then lastly, there's another pitfall. Not only thorns, not only ditches and rocks, but there are still the words to come. Because when you... You know, when the seed goes out, and you may watch that just outside of, of Vienna and some of the fields there in, in spring. You know, the first things that birds look at, they, jump, they just uh, jump on the seed. And that's exactly what Jesus, the birds of the air, added up. Luke 8.5 and 8.12, he says, The devil comes and takes away the word of their heart so that they will not believe and be saved. I mention this again because too often you and I I neither um, either forget or uh, underrate the skill of the devil in keeping us from growing as Christ intended us to do. Jesus didn't call the devil in uh, John 10.10. He called him this thief. You know, that's exactly what he does. His way of doing things. Has never changed. He, as he comes only, only, only to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And wherever you see that happening, you see the very face of the thief. Of this world, steal, kill, and destroy, and that includes his attempts to steal, kill, and destroy everything related to the prime to the primacy of the word of God in your lives. Even this morning, he may do it. Maybe he has even done it. I, I mean, God knows. He knows the first thing Satan did to Eve. In the Garden of Eden was to get Eve to get her to doubt what God said, to doubt God's word. In Genesis 3, when we say the servant, serpent says, has God really said? In other words, Eve did God really misled you by telling you not to eat of this tree? It's Satan. It's his tactic. This led to Eve's confusion over what God had actually said because we see the confused her assumption with God's actual word. She said that God told her not to eat or to touch when in fact that's not what he said. He said don't eat. Say nothing about touching. Don't eat. You may think this as a minor thing with no meaning. However, it shows clearly an underlying capability within each of us to make God's word say something he didn't say. That often happens as the word of God is, is explained. That we explain not the truth in it. So it's no, there's no power in it. If we stay with the truth, it's God that puts power in it. It's not a human. No, you can't put it. And you, I mean, the message we are hearing this morning, it's only God that conveyed to your heart. I'm, you know, it's, I'm a human just like you are. And if he doesn't convey, it's empty. There's nothing in it. I'm well aware of it. This is why I I bow my knees and ask the Lord, please, Lord, convey the message that I can't do. Do you think Satan would not use the same tactic on you and me that he did on Eve? I guarantee he will. Watch out for the ditches, watch out for the rocks watch out for the thorns and watch out for the birds they may surely come now let look let's look at the perfection of the seed to finish this morning and that makes me even more excited because it's the precious seed and i hope this will sink in our heart and makes you also excited as it did with me preparing this sermon Interestingly, the seed of God's word is perfectly written, perfectly designed, and perfectly applied. But the one thing that triggers the impact of the seed is the soil itself. In order to understand this relationship, we need to examine the makeup of the seed and then It's nothing new under the sun again. You know, I'm not doing kind of a biology lecture this morning because I'm not a biologist. I mean, I'm an electrical engineer, so I would rather talk about the currency of 240 volts or 220 volts than uh, making a biology lesson. (laughs) But here again, to begin with, what exactly is a seed? I hope you get this. A seed is the... Reproductive mechanism of life. It is the only means by which a plant, a a tree, an animal, even a human creates new life. If an oak tree gives off no acorns, there will be no new oak tree. If there is no human seed, there will be no. Human. So when God tells us that it is His Word, that it's like a seed, He's telling us something incredibly profound and most important. No matter what kind of size of seed, every seed is made up of three primacy elements. Yes, it, I could, be much more technical as a technician. Maybe you have some biologists among us. They may explain it much better or laugh at me, you know, how kind of helpless I try to explain things. I'm not even a teacher. I'm just a, a disciple of God. First, if you look at a the seed, there is the outer shell. It's something, the biologist would call it an exosperm. It has heart and protective of what is inside. It protects the inside. It's like, you know, um, a good comparison is a coconut, you know. And our West Africans, they would know what I'm talking about. I've never opened really a a complete coconut in, in 10 years, Papua New Guinea. Because it's incredibly hot, the shell outside shell, and then there is a, an inner shell, uh, till you come to really to the the water, so to speak, in a in a in a uh, in, in a coconut. It's it's a lot of work, you know. You sweat your head off till you really come to the to the very center. The outer shell, it's hard, protective. Next, there is an inner shell endosperm, the biologists would call it, which is actually a a nutrition storage supply necessary for the actual reproduction of the plant. It doesn't supply nutrition to the outer shell, no, but instead, and for every good reason, it supplies nutrition to what is sometimes called, you know what it's called? Look at the women's womb, you know, there is an An embryo, that's it. I mean, would you like to explain things further? I mean, did I do something wrong or no? Is it okay? Are you satisfied or you can knock me out afterwards? "Ah, Man, you better shut your mouth. I mean, sitting in the front, you were kind of a challenge to me now. I mean, um, the real life is... Contained deep within the embryo, which gains its nutrients from the inner shell or the endosperm, which is preserved and protected by the outer shell or the exosperm. Interestingly, even though the embryo has access to the nutrients of the uh, inner shell, nothing happens towards the release of life until the heart outer shell is cracked open so that water and other elements can enter and trigger off the life development process. And now this is incredible because they found um, seeds from about 7,000 years ago from the time of, of Pharaoh and they put the seed in the, into the soil. You know what happened? It had still life in it after 7,000 years. Would you believe it? That's how powerful it is. This very seed. Powerful. Jesus himself explained this when he told those Greek inquiries in John 12. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if, if it dies, it bears much fruit he who lives his life loses it and he who hates his life in this world will keep it to live it life eternal the point is this it's no accident that Jesus describes his word as a seed not everyone that he not everywhere he preached Taught or performed miracles were receptive to this message. Even his hometown of Nazareth rejected him. Wherever Jesus went, his message and ministry received mixed responses. Wayside, stony, thorns, and good fertile soil. And it was the temperament and quality of the soil that resulted in the level of fruitfulness that came from the seed. So, if you are spiritually flat, and that could well be, you know, burnt out or kind of no interest, you come here just uh, for the sake of fun, uh, don't blame Günther. Don't blame Theo and who else is an elder. Um, yeah. Don't blame those in responsibility in your local Grace Church. Please don't blame your circumstances. Because that's what Adam and Eve did after all. They blamed each other, you know. It was like a ping pong ball going here and there and everywhere. Don't blame your spouse. Don't blame your time-consuming job. No. It's you. Sorry. You know, if my finger goes out, three come back. It's. Just you, you are the soil, the degree of hunger for God's word is in your own heart and mind, will be the ultimate deciding factor as to how much you benefit from it, how rapidly you grow in all, if at all, and how determined you will be to share the love of Christ with others. So here is the bottom line, you know, I'm about to finish it's time probably um, so don't blame the sower wh- whoever he is don't blame your circumstances the certainty don't and certainly don't blame the seed it's the soil that determines the outcome of the seed now what does this actually mean to us you know we need to explain it a little bit further it tells me that it really makes no difference what part of us is in need of revelation, of encouragement, of um, affirmation, uh, correction, or healing. God's word has something vital to say about it. If your body has a need or where uh, 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 somebody is abusing it, God has something to say about it. If your mind is confused, disillusioned, or disorientate The word can fix it. It has to do with a personal relationship. The sword of the spirit can straighten it. If your emotions are unraveling like a worn out sweater, God's word can weave it all back together. That is the power, the sheer power of the word of God. If our emotions are un. It, it, uh, mucked up, the Word of God can bring it back. If your spirit is wounded, His Word can heal it. If it is spiritually flatlining, the Bible can bring life back to it. It's the sword of the Spirit. It's not just for victorious battle. It's it's also like a finely horned surgical instrument that can with great wisdom and skill get right to the point of need and do great miracles in making us whole. How is this possible? Because it is in his hands. He uses it. It's used by the Holy Spirit. It can do things man's skill can never do. And to put it into practice, my brothers and sisters I've brought uh, 20 German Bibles with me you will be quite surprised I'm not handing it out freely but um, you know 20 and it's quite a number and uh, we've good we've got a good relationship with the Gideons we know the the boss of the Gideons in in Austria so he provides us with Bibles you know so you know who you know the next week is kind of a Ground of... Uh, examine yourself. Um, would you like to present a close friend with a Bible? Are there? Is there anybody there? You know, you come. I mean, I'm not coming to you. It's your decision, you know. And uh, if we can't do it in the presence of God's people, where can we? Is there another chance? I don't know. So, is there any there who wants to present somebody with God's word next week. It's I'm, I'm sorry, it's not in English, it's in in German, because we're living here in a German-speaking country. It's Austria. Yeah, so you come. You know, it's free. Uh, I hope uh, you will discern about it, my brother. Yes, as you are here in in Austria. Well, if you need a, a second one, you get a second one. Yeah, look. It's 17. So we produce them, you know, yeah. Anybody else? You, I mean, you need to come. I'm not going into the, because it's kind of a testimony, you know, that uh, that you are ready to present others with the word of God. Well, here we are. There's still some left. If you need some, I will bring next time some more. Um, Is there, well, there are a couple of them left, maybe about uh, 10 or so. Um, If you'd like to have one come, you know, is it your chance, uh, you know, to get something free and it's worth it? Yes, I know that in Africa, something is free. It has no worth. I know that. But here we we deal with the word of God. Yes, the Lord bless you. Well, there's another one. So there's still uh, five left. It's for free, you know. Um, Who else wants to have a, a, a nice little pocket? Bible. But as I said, it's not to put it in your pocket, please, but to give it out and and to present others with so that they are able to read it. And that has power. My brother, the Lord bless you. Well, here we are. Get them out. You know, it's free. Yes. All right. And then there is a the last one. Who wants to have the last one? Well, My brother, the Lord bless you. Thank you so much. It's great. You know, it's empty. So I'll give it back to Margaret. Um, We brought it with a couple of kilos. And now it's um, empty. It's a great uh, privilege. Um, It's not a sellout. But it's something very, very dear. I can speak of issues... That no preacher, counselor, physician or educator can ever effectively touch. These can inform and instruct. But only the Holy Spirit can reveal. Can make it life. You must also look at God's word. For it alone is totally true and trustworthy. So let's trust afresh the word of God. And if you have never trusted it. Today and this morning, it's now or never. It's now. Then you can put your trust in the word of God that brings eternity in your heart and mind and soul. Let's keep trusting his word afresh. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. The Lord bless you as you use this word of God for God's purposes. And I'm sure he will bless us abundantly. Not only your church, but also your personal life as you use his words. His word is reproductive to the ends of the time. And it's amazing what the word of God can do. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus... We thank you so much that your word is powerful. That your word is a lamp to our feet. It's the truth that enters our hearts. It's the milk that nourishes us. It's so sweet. Sweeter than honey. It's more worth and more valuable as gold. It is. It makes us fresh more than water can ever does. It's the mirror in our life that provides personal reflection. And it's a hammer that deals with things that you don't like in our lives to be. And it's the fire that refines and purifies us. Lord Jesus It's your word. Thank you so much for this precious seed that is put out this morning. Lord Jesus, I pray that this seed may work in our hearts. So that others may be attracted to come into the kingdom of God. That eternity may come into their lives as well. We praise you for the fellowship we had this morning and we thank you that you are present that we can sit at your feet and you love us dearly you protect us you are with us to the ends of the time thank you that we can go out with joy and present this precious gospel to many more people thank you for the time you give us as long as short it may be Thank you. We praise you and we give you all the glory in the powerful name of our Lord Jesus. Amen.